Hello, and welcome to Musings on History. Episode 9.6, Religions and Mythologies of Ancient Africa. Welcome back to Musings on History. Last episode, I talked about some of the ancient pre-colonial kingdoms, empires, and cultures of Africa. And today, I'm going to be talking about some of the religious beliefs and mythologies originating on the continent. Just like with Africa's languages, there is an incredible amount of diversity in African religious beliefs. So I'll be highlighting some mythologies and religions from each region of the continent, as well as the major world religions that dominate the continent. Chapter one, polytheistic pantheons. Polytheism is the belief in multiple deities, which are usually assembled into a pantheon of gods and goddesses, all with their own religious sects and rituals. The opposite of polytheism is of course monotheism, which is the belief in a singular God who in most cases is transcendent. Most people think of polytheism as an ancient practice and that most modern humans who bother to be religious at all will more than likely be monotheists, but Hinduism is still going strong and it's a polytheistic religion, so not really. Polytheism in Africa is usually referred to traditional African religion or African traditional religions or ATR, which is how I'm gonna be referring to them. And these traditions are usually passed down orally rather than scripturally. Most traditional African religions are based around ethnicities and involve some form of ancestor veneration, although they do usually include the belief in an amount of higher and lower gods, sometimes including a supreme creator or force, a belief in spirits, use of magic, and traditional African medicine. Most traditional African religions can be described as animistic with various polytheistic and pantheistic aspects. A defining aspect of any religion is the role of humanity within it And in traditional African religion, the role of humanity is generally seen as the link between the natural and the supernatural world, which kind of reminds me of the big three Abrahamic religions, giving humankind uh, the role as like the caretaker in Genesis. Traditional African religions are not as widespread on the continent anymore due to the introduction and spread of global religions like Islam and Christianity as well as colonial practices suppressing their religious practices. But one traditional African religion actually grew into becoming a global religion due to the slave trade, and that is the Yoruba religion. Now, the Yoruba religion is not uniformly practiced throughout the African diaspora or within Africa, but I mean, the same can be said for Islam, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. So as far as the Musings on History podcast is concerned, Yoruba is officially a global African religion. Please take your seat amongst the big boys, Aludamare. The Yoruba religion, or Isese, comprises the traditional religious and spiritual concepts and practices of the Yoruba people. Its homeland is in present-day southwestern Nigeria in an area commonly referred to as Yoruba land. This this area roughly translates to the majority of Oyo, Ogun, Osun, 
Ondo, Ikiti, Kwara, and Lago states, as well as parts of Kogi state and the adjoining parts of the countries of Benin and Togo. It shares some parallels with the Vodun practiced by the neighboring Fon and Iwe peoples to the west and to the religion of the Edo people and Igala people to the east. Its diasporic offshoots include Santeria, which is practiced in Cuba and Puerto Rico, Umbanda, which is native to Brazil, Trinidad Arisha, and Condomble, which is also native to Brazil. Other diasporic religions with parallels to Yoruba include Haitian voodoo, Louisiana voodoo, Cuban voodoo, Dominican voodoo, Venezuela Unu, and Brazilian voodoo, which are the practices of the Condomble branches of Yeye and Tambor de Mina. Fun fact about Condomble, one of the African traditional religions that I mentioned of all of them, Condomble is most similar to ATRs in that its practitioners align their branches with their ethnic group, even though Afro-Brazilians are hundreds of years removed from their original uh, African ethnicities. So Yeye branch is practiced by the descendants of the Dahomey people and the Ketu branch, which uses a dialect of Yoruba as its liturgical language is practiced by the descendants of the enslaved Ketu people of Benin who were sold into slavery by the Dahomey. Now, can you imagine being like an Iwe warrior, right? And you always do a battle with a Dahomey and then one of them sells you to the Portuguese and you end up on a fazenda in Brazil. And the first person you see is a Dahomey. Like, I would have to request a transfer. I cannot work with her. We ain't fuck with each other back in Africa and I'm not fucking with them now. And so I asked a Brazilian friend of mine about like Yeye and Ketu and the connections to these uh, African ethnicities from hundreds of years ago. And she told me that the Yeye and Cantu branches of Condomble still have beef. It's been hundreds of years and like they're all Brazilian now, but the ancestors was like, nah, before you were Brazilian, you was Dahomey and you was Iwe and you was Fawn and you was Fonte and da 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 and it's up and it's stuck. Like the African proverb says, when it's up, it's stuck. And I think that's sad, but it's also really cool. Like due to continuing to practice your ATR, you can really trace your ancestry back to like the original ethnicity. And it's a real cool way for us to like keep track of who we were before slavery made us into something else. And that's why I always wondered like, where do niggas go, you know, in the afterlife? Because afterlives and are so specific to your ethnicity, like what your religion is, what your culture is. Hindus got where they go. Taoists go somewhere. Buddhists got where they go. Even the Scandinavians, you know, they can go to Valhalla. Where do we go? So I feel like as a West African of the Americas, which is how I broadly refer to myself, we should just be able to choose our own adventure. Cause I don't want to go to Christian heaven. Because it's a whole lot of people that I don't like that's supposedly going to be there. Anyway, as for the tambor de mina branch, tambor means drum in Portuguese. And it signifies the importance of the drum in worship. And mina refers to Sao Jorge de Mina, also known as El Mina Castle, a a slave trading fort in Ghana that was built by the Portuguese. 
The natives of this coastal region of Ghana are the Fonte. So Tambor de Mina practitioners are the descendants of the Fonte people of Ghana. Yoruba practitioners on the African continent believe that all human beings possess what is known as Ayamo or a destiny or fate. Every person is expected to eventually become one in spirit with Aludamare, the divine creator and source of all Ase or energy. Furthermore, the thoughts and actions of each person in Aie, the physical realm, interact with all other living things, including the earth itself. Each person living on earth should attempt to achieve perfection and find their destiny in Oronrere, which is the spiritual realm of those who do good and beneficial things. One's Oriinu, spiritual consciousness in the physical realm, must grow in order to consummate union with one's Iponri, or Orun, which is your spiritual self. Iwapele or well-balanced meditative recitation and sincere veneration is sufficient to strengthen the Ori Inu of most people. Well-balanced people, it is believed, are able to make positive use of the simplest form of connection between their Oris and the omnipotent Olurorun and Adora or a petition or prayer for divine support. In Yoruba religion, there are spirits called Orisha, who are, which are their entities that possess the capability of reflecting some of the manifestations of Aludamare. Yoruba Orisha are often described as intermediaries between humankind and the supernatural, but are commonly referred to as gods, like the Olympian gods of Greece and Rome. Orisha are revered for having control over specific elements of nature, such as Ogun, Orisha of iron, war and metallurgy, Yamoja, patron of the Ogun River, who is considered the protective energy of the feminine forest, and Aganju, the Orisha of the forests, deserts, volcanoes, and the wilderness. He was originally a king of the Oyo Empire before being deified after his death, so he would be more like a demigod, like Hercules or something. Also, I learned that the Orisha are compatible with tropical astrology, so all us Scorpios, our Orisha is Yamaya. Like Yoruba, the Akan religion is also tied to ethnicity, this one being the Akan peoples of Ghana and Eastern Côte d'Ivoire. It's also referred to as Akom from the Twi word for prophecy. The Akan have many subgroups, including the Fante, Ashanti, Akuapem, Wasa, Abron, Anyi, and the Baule, among others. So the religion tends to vary by subgroup. Followers of Akan spirituality believe in a supreme goddess who created the universe, but she's a very distant goddess and she doesn't interact with humans. The creator God, however, takes on different names depending on the region of worship, including Niame, Niakampon, uh, Brekihunade, excuse me, it means almighty, Oramankoma, which is an infinite inventor, and Anansi Kokoroko, the great designer or the great spider. The Supreme Creator is um, an omniscient, omnipotent Sky Father whose wife is called Asasaya or Mother Earth. And together they had two children, Bia and Tano. The Creator is connected to Saturdays and people born on Saturdays, while Asasaya is connected to Thursdays and people born on Thursday. Since Asasaya is Mother Earth, Thursdays are traditionally sacred to farmers in Ghana. The Akan equivalent to the Yoruba Arisha are the Abosam, who are lower deities or spirits that assist humans on earth. The Abosam are also equivalent to the Vodun in West African Vodun and the Liwa, Liwa sorry, in Haitian Voodoo. 
Opossum receive their power from the creator god and are most often connected to the world as it appears in its natural state. Priests serve individual Abosum and act as mediators between the Abosum and humankind. Many of those who believe in these traditions participate in daily prayer, which includes the pouring of libations as an offering to both the ancestors who are buried under the land and to the spirits who are everywhere. The Abosum can also be known as the Atano gods. They're led by Tano, the Asante god of uh, war and strife, son of Niame. Akan religion also includes the Nasamfo, uh, who are the ancestors, and they're sometimes referred to as ghosts. In the areas of the Americas where enslaved people were predominantly of Akan descent, like Jamaica, uh, the Carolinas of the U.S., and Suriname, Akan religion and folklore persisted and syncretized with Christianity. So in the U.S., in like the Carolinas, especially in the uh, Sea Islands, the stories of Anansi the Spider and Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox come from Akan religion and folklore. In Jamaica, the Maroon people continue to practice Akan religion and poured libations to Asasiya and Epo the sea god. Bonsum was referred to as the god of evil and Kung Fu from the word Ikam and the name of the Akan spiritual system was documented as Maya by the English. A Maroon priest of Kung Fu was called a Kung Fu man. The Jamaican Maroon spirit possession language, which is a creolized form of Akan, is used in religious ceremonies in some of some Jamaican Maroons, and Jamaican Patois includes several Twi words and creolized Twi words. And Suriname, the Afro-Surinamese religion of Winti, is largely derived from both Akam and Vodun, with uh, Vodun gods such as Loko and Ayuzu, and the liturgical language of Winti called Sranantogo, der- derives from Twi, Dutch, and English. Southern Africa also has some pantheistic religions from its pre-colonial past. The Khoisan or San people are members of various Khoi, Tu, or Kixa-speaking indigenous hunter-gatherer cultures that are the first cultures of Southern Africa and whose territories span Botswana, Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Lesotho, and South Africa. Today, most of the San are Christian, but pre-Christianity, they practiced their own religion that was, again, specific to their ethnic group, which was called the San religion. The San religion contains many folkloric heroes, such as the trickster Ikakin or Mantis, a demiurge who can shapeshift. He and his wife, Ahuntatatin or Koti, adopted Zo or Porcupine as their daughter. Zo is married to Inchinuman, a dangerous stranger carnivore, and they had a son also named Chunaman, a mongoose-like creature. There's also Kagara and Hanu, who are brothers-in-law who fought with lightning and they caused massive storms in the desert. Zu is the Kokoi word, um, which means rich man or master. And it was used by some Christian missionaries to translate to Lord in the Bible. And then the San people kind of reported, it, uh, repeated that. And so in Juan, it is the word for the Christian God. And it's been misinterpreted sometimes as the Bushman creator. The Maasai mythology or Maasai religion is the traditional beliefs of the Maasai people of Kenya and Tanzania. In Maasai culture, Nature and its elements are important facets of their religion, with an androgynous supreme creator called Nigai, also known as Ingai or Inkai, who possesses both masculine and feminine principles. 
The Maasai refer to Nagai's primordial dwelling as Old Donyo Lingai, which means mountain of God, which they believe is in northern Tanzania. Nagai's name is also synonymous to rain. In Maasai religion, the Laiban or Laiboni intercede with the world of the living and the creator. They are the Maasai's highest priests and diviners. And in addition to organizing and presiding over religious ceremonies, including sacrifice and libation, they also heal the living both spiritually and uh, physically. And I find it very interesting that so many of African beliefs, language, like pre-colonial languages and belief systems have no fixed concept of gender. So a lot of people will make the argument that you know, yes, patriarchy existed. Yes, there was this stratification between man and woman and that no colonialism didn't enshrine the very Judeo-Christian belief in there only being two genders. But if you, like last episode, I mentioned that one of the defining features specifically of the Atlantic Congo branch of the Niger Congo language family, which is one of the largest language families in the world, there is really no gender differentiation in all of those languages. It's one of their defining features. It just wasn't a big deal. And then when you find you look at a lot of traditional African religious practices, you have like either gender fluid gods and goddesses or people who are gender fluid are considered to be like spiritual leaders in these communities. They serve as shamans, they serve as healers, they have a revered place in society due to their ability to inhabit both masculinity and femininity. So if you are black and trans or non-binary or what have you, just any part of the LGBTQ umbrella, congratulations, you know, you are more in touch with your in, your indigenous Africanity than some of these other people. And that's on Nagai. Chapter two, world religions of Africa. So back in 2020, I did a series on the history of Christianity and I devoted an episode to the spread of Islam and then another episode on East African Christianity, which also included some info on the history of the Beta Israel or Ethiopian Jews. Since I've already covered the big three in that series, I'm deciding not to go over them again. But out of curiosity, I Googled Hinduism in Africa and I expected to see mostly information on like Indo-Kenyans, Ugandans, and South Africans who mostly migrated to East and Southern Africa in the late 1800s when most of those lands were British protectorates. So those two groups, you know, wouldn't fit into the time period of this series, which is explicitly pre-colonial, so I won't be covering those either. I did, however, find that Hinduism is the fastest growing religion in Ghana, Sierra Leone, and Togo, with 12,500 Hindus in Ghana in uh, 2009, sorry, 91% of whom were indigenous Africans. So Hinduism was brought to Ghana by Sindhi settlers who migrated to Ghana during the partition of India in 1947. In 1975, Swami Ghanahanada built the Hindu monastery of Africa located at Odakor in the greater Accra region of Ghana. It is the first African Hindu monastery, but not the last. A branch of the Hindu monastery of Africa was established in Togo in 2001. 
Now, of course, none of this information fits into the time period of this series either, but I just thought that was very, very interesting. Also, I forgot to recommend podcasts on ancient Egypt last episode, like I knew I would. So here are the recommendations. Uh, For a very thorough and scholarly and academic, but still kind of dry listen, um, the History of Egypt podcast is a good bet. While Afterlives of Ancient Egypt with Kara Cooney is a very refreshingly modern take that's interwoven with Dr. Cooney's political beliefs and her life as a mother, historian, author, and professor, although she has faced some criticism like, how is this white lady from America inserting herself into Egyptology and making it all about her? Despite that, which I normally do kind of hate, um, I thought it would, I think it's pretty interesting. So there you go. Next episode, I'll be diving deeper into pre-colonial African societies around the continent from their political structures to like their infrastructure policies, the way they built, um, how they got around to like marriage and family and even their different animal husbandry practices animal husbandry practices. I will also unfortunately have to discuss pre-colonial African slavery and how the practice eventually led to the transatlantic and East African slave trades. Join me next time for more Musings on History.